to episode two season two like a flamingo podcast we're back after a short absence uh, with donor lens we've done a donor lens midnight store special i'm joined by jay as ever half of donor lens and of course tom who's coming down from london to join us uh hot on the heels of the release of midnight store perhaps we should start there donor lens Thank you. 
Tell us a little about the concept. Obviously, I know the shop very. I'm very familiar with the shop, having lived around the corner from it for 15 years. And uh, yeah, it's, it's mad seeing it brought to life. So um, yeah, I'm I'm down from London in Wales. It's like a little pilgrimage every time I come down now because um, we've sort of memorialised this shop. Uh, it's just like a standard off license in a lot of ways, but with some uh, pretty sort of striking, unique features. Uh, the bongs I, in the window. The bongs in the window. Um, the kind of uh, fluctuating prices. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, the main thing about it is the name. Like I think the fact we we went to the shop and I think we were both kind of struck by it being called the Midnight Store. Like one because it's quite similar to the name of our previous record, Miracle Lounge. Um, 
And two, it just seems like this kind of strange, uncanny name for like quite a mundane shop. It uh, promises something kind of sci-fi or exotic. Or well, it's got the font. The logo is... What's yeah, the, what's crucially, the... it's a Star Trek Star Voyager Trek. Yeah, yeah. font, I think. Yeah, so they can't really uh, complain. <laughs> Certainly the owners of the Midnight Store can't complain about the... About us taking sort of creative liberties with our <laughs> shop when they've um, yeah, well, clearly ripped off a font themselves. The one thing I would say uh, about the shop itself is that they've taken creative liberties with their names. It did used to open until midnight, and it rarely does now. Oh. And um, yeah, like you said about prices fluctuating, like... There's no price marks in that place. Yeah, and it's where, hours feels, and prices fluctuate in there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's kind of the point though. Like, um, uh, both our records to date have been about these places where time feels a little bit strange. So I think like air travel, this kind of miracle lounge thing. Um, when when you're in a, a, a lounge waiting for for a plane, it doesn't really matter whether it's morning or night, or you know, you're you're kind of in this sort of suspended time. And I think the same applies when you're like a little bit inebriated shopping for beers and you don't really know or care how much uh, how much they cost and uh, you're not really making the most informed and rational decisions. So I think, I think we just quite like the sort of aura and atmosphere of this as a space. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. So you guys have got a thing, it seems like, about building albums and concepts around transient spaces. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you think you'll develop going forward or are you not, you're not, is, are you kind of tying yourself to that now? Yeah, I think we have tied ourselves to it. Um, we can't really give away too much about what we're working on at the moment, but it does carry on in this this vein. Um, there's definitely a thing about buildings or places or spaces where uh, slightly strange things happen. That's that's a kind of certainly for our albums. I think our singles, we've um, you know, singles are where we can be a little bit more off track. Um, but yeah, that that seems to be the path we're on for albums at the moment. <laughs> I know I'm really good. I, mean, I, mean, I, really like I feel like you're where you're struggling, Jay, is that you're like torn between the host and the and the interviewee. Yeah, it's the same as what happened with the with the when we when we did the the pod about um Miracle Lounge when that came out as well. It's like sudden like um do, what where do I what role do I have in this in this conversation? You normally let me do the talking anyway. Yeah, so. yeah, and then I let Tom do 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 the talking for don't know, so I can just kinda of sit back in on, on both uh, respects and <laughs> but, okay, I'll, I'll ask you a question, Jay. How, how do you feel about how the release has gone so far? I mean, because you guys have done some crazy formats. The first um, ZX Spectrum Next yeah. release on Vaporwave. We have to yeah, clarify so that's a computer, not a console. Yes. Yeah, so someone on a on a, on a forum <laughs> got pointed Somebody out. Somebody knew a bit more about ZX um, Spectrum Next, more than we do, anyway. Yeah, they were a bit annoyed <clears> about <throat> it being called a console rather than a, a I think it's a microcomputer mm-hmm. as the, yeah. the, the I believe you issued a public apology there <laughs> we have yeah <laughs> yeah no that was um but where did that idea come from that that was my dad actually came up with that idea um he um has always well he's his job is um programming so he he, he um creates programs for uh, businesses and companies and stuff like that but he's always um wanted to create games and He's always, um, he, as you know, he's a, he's a, he's a massive fan of um, retro games, yeah. and he uh, realised that he could he could um, uh, build uh, build a, a way of listening to the album because um, you could you could put WAVs onto because because basically what this new version of the Spectrum um, ZX Spectrum the ZX Spectrum um, 
takes is a like SD cards, so it's, it's it's easy to kind of um, transfer your own files into there. And, there. and then someone invented a, a thing, I think it's called Smart WAV or something like that. I'd have to I'd have to look at the thing, but um, that um, allows you to play yeah play play music. So yeah, it was he's effectively his built. Idea. So you load the you load the cartridge. Whereas obviously anyone who's bought it that doesn't have a ZX Spectrum next, yeah. they can still use the sound card in the way that you would you know, yeah you can stick in anyway. But they yeah. built your dad's built something within. You see, load it like a computer program, yeah. and then it, it's all visually there as well, and it's all laid out, and it looks that kind of eight bit. Yeah, and the sound as well. Actually, the sound's quite crunchy. Yeah, less so than it was, I think, because the, the yeah, software got I think, update. I think originally it was um, it was it was mono, eight bit, or yeah, eight bit mm-hmm. WAVs or something like that, and then yeah, then there was some sort of update midway through when he was programming it. So I think they're um, stereo. Uh, but yeah, wow. they, yeah, yeah, they they still sound all um, mod cons. Yeah, they still sound really nice and crunchy and sort of um, retro. Sound. It's a different experience. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. But yeah, so we made a run of twenty five of those. I'm not sure how many of those people who bought it actually have a Spectrum next. So I think Hopefully. very very few people in the world are going to have that exact experience. Yeah, which to, in itself is interesting. I wonder yeah. because, and we'll, we'll link it in the pod as well, is there is a, a second run of Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So they've done a new um, a new batch, as it were. Yeah, so. yeah that went live like, what was it, like a week ago or something like that. We, we, we were looking yeah. at it with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've Chris, increased the we? price, but I think they had some manufacturing difficulties. Obviously, everyone's yeah. struggling a bit at the minute with COVID and everything else. So it's quite mm-hmm. cool that this thing's continuing. And there's obviously enough people out there. There's an yeah. appetite for old technology of this kind. And I just about remember, I'm a little bit older than you, obviously, but I do just about remember when the Spectrums were out mm-hmm. and like the, probably my first ever computer gaming experiences were football manager games on the nice. Spectrum like literally would have been mid to late 80s I'd have thought nice. but yeah it's cool but that that's just one format I and mean, obviously that's perhaps the most interesting because it's never been done before but in terms of the vinyl that's nearly sold out and the tapes it's, it seems to have it seems to have sold more quickly than Miracle Lounge do you think that you've built more of an audience since you made that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I think it's hard with with any in any genre, any artist as do, releasing your first release. You have to I think you have to be quite lucky to have you know instant instant sort of success because it's just about people hearing it, really, isn't it? So I think um, we spent a lot of time um, pushing Miracle Lounge, and then we released a whole batch of singles. Um, we played a couple of um, live things, you know. So I think we've, yeah, we've, we've worked quite hard, just kind of trying to. Just find more of a audience. I think. Yeah. yeah. When we put out Miracle Lounge, we were essentially anonymous. Yeah. Like it was. We 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 basically we had almost no lead in time. We just put this thing out. We had the um, video clip for Dimensions by Duke Domo, which we put out. I think on the day there was no yeah. lead in, and I think some people bought it on the strength of the like amazing artwork. Yeah, like yeah. both, so both the artwork, the still artwork, Victor Arche stuff, and then the the Duke demo visuals for dimensions. I think that piqued people's interest. Um, I don't. We never, we never disguised the fact that it was you know one half of my pet flamingo uh, with a collaborator. Uh, but I don't think. I think in the meantime we've made ourselves like more approachable, and we've done lots of collaboration, and yeah. <clears throat> we've made ourselves like literally more visible. Like you know, you can watch clips of us like mucking about on instruments yeah. and you know just goofing about on social media but like more more visible just in terms of some kind of career progression there'd be like we've hit some milestones in the meantime like getting on these streaming events and like yeah people buying more physicals and like streaming stuff's moving in the right direction now as well getting on some playlists and things 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly helps that you've got your own platform. So obviously, because because we run MPF, we've got an instant outlet for it, and that's half the challenge. You yeah. can't, no one can underestimate that. But it's definitely true that you guys are pushing to. You built your own identity on social media. You are much more proactive than um, you know maybe when you first started, kind of thing. And I, for example, you say about those videos where you're tweaking around with uh, with interesting instruments. I liked your uh, floral shop cover. On piano, the Lisa Frank oh, yeah. piano. Oh, gee, that was ages yeah. ago. Yeah, that was ages ago. Yeah. Do you know? I don't. Yeah. I don't know if we ever actually even posted. No, I don't think anyone's seen that. Or uh, I was playing it on Juno 106 last time we recorded a podcast, and I don't think yeah. that was ever posted. I think we got distracted by. Yeah, I um, think I have that like on my desktop. You yeah, know? we got distracted mm -hmm. by beers and uh, being late for Groove Horizons. Groove Horizons <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say about like the fact that we because you know we've only really been in existence like in a public sense since October. So October 2019 yeah. and it's August 2020 now, but less than a year. It really helps that there's two of us. Like I don't yeah. think there are many duos in 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 the scene, but like I think I just I was, I was kind of thinking about musicians that I like uh, from you know from kind of the vaporwave scene. So like I mean, Destiny Dynamic Shroud is essentially a duo, like yeah. with with a kind of third, <clears throat> yeah, an, an additional extra at times. But like think about for like fun acts like from different scenes. You think about like outcast think about steely dan um you think about um like it maybe not necessarily duos but like lots of the kind of electronic acts in the noughties were like uh, uh collectives of some kind like massive attack Porter's Head, yeah prodigy air like all these groups i think it's like it helps in terms of productivity because you don't necessarily get twice as much done but like you know you can delegate tasks um and i think uh certain people like the idea of a group or a collective as well mm. you know like if you're coming from like a rock <clears throat> music background or whatever it, it feels a little bit more like a band or something yeah yeah well i think you just both have both have different ideas as well so like mm -hmm. when me and me and enzo are working on timeshare 94 stuff like you know yeah well, we both we both we both come with different completely yeah. different you know like oh look at this well our reference band. points are miles apart it's kind of like yeah. a running running joke that like we like we kind of make references to things and it just gets completely lost on each other uh which yeah. is quite unusual but i think like i think that's really cool for a collaboration like having two people with like quite different backgrounds bringing things to the table yeah, yeah and that's that, that i find that interesting working with jade like on the timeshare stuff is because i am you know i'm his big brother but there's probably well there's 14 15 years between us and that obviously you know that comes with my own sort of nostalgic memories of being young are different to his. Yeah. The music I listened to, I mean, you probably just about remember hearing it through my bedroom door yeah, when I was yeah, a kid yeah. playing hardcore <laughs> and jungle and stuff. That's but quite like, evocative. That's a nice description of, um, in a sense, as a concept. Like well, hear, hearing Big Brother's hardcore through the through the bedroom door. And it's funny you should like say that because the idea for that came about from obviously my sort of like fascination with what it was like then because there were nowadays anyone can set up communications online you don't have to have uh, a transmitter no one has to shimmy up a drain pipe to get a transmitter <laughs> on the roof whereas the one time we did a pirate radio station we tested the transmitter gear um i don't know if anyone's seen people just do nothing but yeah. literally that housing estate in fact that tower block one of my best mates colin um lived in and we once got a guy who was brave enough to climb out of he lived on the 23rd floor of that very building oh climbed up put the transmitter on the roof and then you obviously link that to the to the receiver kind of thing and we did that from my bedroom in in uh, the house i lived in with jay when he was little 
That's so funny. It was crazy. Does your mum know? Crazy. She she did know. They discovered it halfway through. They discovered it when for some reason the fan <laughs> on the fan on the transmitter wasn't working. Yeah. So I'm running my hand from the plug down the wire, going, "What's not connected?" And I got to the end, and I discovered quite quickly, quite painfully, what wasn't connected was the metal exposed wire yeah. from the oh. plug. And the only thing probably that <laughs> saved me was the fact that this was under my bed, and I smashed my head on the bed frame and let go. Oh my god! I got electrocuted doing a pirate radio Jeez. station. But anyway, the, the reason I say that is just because in those days it, it seemed like such an effort there was always running battles with the d the dt i think they were called or the department of um basically the, the government department. yeah yeah dti dti that was it and they would obviously constantly be trying to search out where the yeah. transmitters were mm-hmm. and it was quite a pirate kind of thing yeah. yeah a very underground thing it was all hidden and anonymous and kind of what inspires me about vaporwave is that anonymity yeah. aspect and it Feeds feels like we're kind same, of back yeah. into an underground scene again yeah so the Going back to why we started the idea for Innocence, it was like, all right, these are my nostalgic member days, yeah, yeah, as yeah. it were, and I've been trying to get you to help me find a way of bringing it. Bringing yeah. it Three piece of sweets, 4 a.m., lights out.
there's a cool example of that with um, Square Pusher, <clears throat> like sort of OG kind of doing sort of jungle and hardcore stuff but in quite like a refracted way. He's the older brother of a producer called CFAX Acid Crew. And um, CFAX like got his start by basically mucking around with Big Bro's equipment whilst, you know, Big Brother was out doing other stuff. And I think, um, yeah, like the CFAX Acid Crew's music is like quite funny refraction of like what's already quite a sort of a creative refraction of sort of jungle and hardcore music. I like these kind of echoes and um, yeah, like kind of secondhand information or like things. We were talking about it yesterday like that. There's that YouTube version of Alvin Lucy as I'm sitting in a room where yeah. like somebody reads a text, uh, records it, downloads it off YouTube, re-uploads it to YouTube, like does it a thousand times and the end result is this like garbled digital kind of artifact yeah. that's, that's something else. <clears throat> Well, and earlier on today we were playing, I was going through YouTube and I was digging out, people have uploaded cassettes, because I used to have boxes and boxes of tapes where literally the only way you could get most of this music if you weren't a vinyl collector, and I started a bit late with that, was to listen to it live, record it onto your tapes, constantly re-recording yeah. stuff that wasn't as good. And there's all these lost hours of music that was transmitted in those days, but some people have archived it on YouTube and we were listening to it. And by now, obviously, you're talking about a cassette that's 20 years old, that's dated, uploaded low quality mm. youtube you're playing it and it just sounds distorted and it sounds well you, you think a lot of it sounds dreadful anyway <laughs> <laughs> it's challenging but it, I, that's all part of the character isn't it it's like the 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 information in the medium itself like the way you're listening to it has has kind of uh meaning yeah itself, and for but, a moment i'm 14 again yeah and i genuinely but it's, but it's not an exact it's not it's not an exact replica of what you experienced but um it, it kind of sets nostalgic things going, doesn't it? We were working yesterday with Chris, the director, who's working with us on Nobody Here, um, and we were we were sort of we're working at the storyboard process. Obviously, it takes ages trying to map together the story of Vaporwave. And one of the things that's really interesting we were talking about is why is it that suddenly the 80s and the 90s have become in vogue in terms of a fashion sense, and it's because young music producers, maybe in 2010. Their childhood, they're remembering the tail end of the 80s and the 90s. That's what their whole nostalgic memory of, of being young is all about. And those are their frames of reference. Yeah. And it's only inevitable as we carry on through this decade and into the new one that that's going to gradually shift with it. Yeah, it's like I, a 30, maybe like a 30 year buffer. Yeah, so Britpop in the 90s was yeah. people who grew up listening to their dad's Who and Rolling Stones, of yeah. course, people who are into, you know, all that mod stuff. And it kind of had a resurgence. And I'm sure that all of those movements over a lag of a certain period, maybe 20, 30 years, like yeah. you say. It comes I think back. it is about that. If you think about like George Lucas movies and David Lynch stuff, like, you know, it's stuff that's made in the 80s or 90s and it's got this 50s nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like a gener generation, isn't it? Like maybe like rediscovering your parents' stuff. Like maybe you go through a phase of thinking like your parents' stuff is all crap. Yeah. And then, like, reevaluating it. I know my mum went through a long phase of thinking that all of my stuff was crap. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you kind of grew into that as well. But, you know, it's nice, though, because you, you talk about collaboration and mm -hmm. there's a lot of it. You guys have worked out. List some of the, how many people have you worked with in the last six months? You've done tons. Loads. So I think we're going we're gonna to bell Data Girl yeah. up in a bit. So she's, like, a very frequent collaborator. So she sings on Midnight Store and on the final track, Spirit Receiver. I think that's the first time she sang on anybody's track, hers included, uh, which I didn't know because I think what's strange is that her voice sounds really similar to the sampled voices that she uses in her own music, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is really cool. Uh, we've worked a lot with 
Eventual Infinity. We've worked a lot with PowerPC Me. Um, a Hero. <clears throat> we've worked with A Hero. I mean, we did we did a whole remix album of our first record, Miracle Lounge, which has you know a whole bunch of collaborators on it. Um, we've got lots of stuff lined up as kind of one-off singles, uh, which we'll do kind of once uh, the sort of promo cycle for Midnight Store winds down a bit. Yeah. But yeah, some exciting things, and we've got got remixes from uh, Tough Wave. The negotiable instruments, mm-hmm. tap away. I thought you were announcing in. stuff that we hadn't even uh, organised <laughs> no, yet. No, 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 no. Yeah, stay, yeah no, steady so, now before you start. So yeah, that's big. Actually, that's um. I think actually some of that stuff is really underrated. I think so. We put out a single with our really regular collaborator, actually Yana uh, Tyrrell, who sings all over Midnight Store Record, uh, and that's got re- uh, remixes by OSC, yeah. which I think uh, people went nuts for actually. Yeah, because um, yeah. it's. You know, he really went to town with that. Well, he kind of took it into the into the synthwave sort of um, kind of um, sound. Yeah, and it's got this well. kind of boogie, boogie electro funk thing. Yeah. He's an interesting yeah. crossover anyway because he has got an audience in the synthwave yeah. crew and, yeah. and amongst the vaporwave community as well. Yeah, I think, I think in video game world as well. Too. Yeah, because yeah, he's, sure. he's like a proper musician, proper composer and stuff. So that yeah, that's crazy. But then there's a like a kind of more upbeat, uh, future funky remix by Tupperwave. Yeah, um, and. There's this really beautiful remix by Waterfront Dining, which, you know, we like. We spent a lot of time with just thinking like, there's something really magic about this, but we couldn't really like put our, our finger on it because it's sort of, he's made it sound like he's just slowed the track down, but then like the more you listen to it, you hear like, well, actually he's kind of removed this layer and actually he's looped this layer. It's like what's it's like the the best, uh, the best about classic vaporwave when it sounds really effortless. It sounds like. You know, the, the the producer maybe has done like almost nothing with the source material, and then you spend time with it, and you you, you find more and more and more kind yeah. of little yeah, it's like subtle and subtle there. edits, right? And yeah. it just kind of adds up. I think he end. called it an edit rather than the remix yeah. as well because he didn't he didn't add anything, he just took away. Yeah. Um, and he got and it actually ends up weirdly, it's like it, it's possibly the most poppy version because uh the the. Our original version's got like some fairly strange elements, and he stripped it away. Yeah, and it's just this like really beautiful, like rolling slow groove. Donor Lands featuring Janet Earl, negotiable instruments, waterfront dining edit.
like a flamingo. We definitely recommend that. I think like that's kind of some of that stuff's on our Spotify and people haven't found that yet. Yeah. Tough wave remix as well. More people need to hear that. What about the process? So you've come down for the day, well, mm-hmm. for a few days, and you 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 do come up quite a lot. And obviously, we've collaborated quite recently, working on Innocence stuff and yeah. on Innocence Two, which is going to come in the not too distant future. But like generally speaking, you're you're two countries apart. Yeah. So how how do you like how does an idea become a song? We normally work remotely, don't we? Yeah, just send ideas or like create a. When we like have a when we're trying to put like an album together, I think what we've done both times is we've had a couple of little ideas and like nuggets and that kind of stuff, but then we'll, we'll kind of um, come up with some names. Yeah, some, like, the, the tracks get named really early, don't they? Which yeah. I think helps like you, solidify yeah, the focus. Yeah, then you kind of make the track to the name, kind of not like not as strictly as that, but. That kind of helps. But are you to... working on one stage? You send it on to Tom. Tom takes it to the next incarnation. Yeah, it's quite a lot of back well, and forth. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a lot we, of back we back transfer forth. a lot. Yeah, yeah, I see the emails come through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm. Always, I've got to the point now where I'm like, I don't need to worry. If about it's we transfer, it's, it's me. It's our, yeah, it's our it's come from Love and Dust. Yeah, we transfer. I'll leave that be. That's that's Jay yeah. and Tom's latest album. They've they've not yet released the second, <laughs> yeah. and they've already started the third. <laughs> but I like that. I mean, your your guys are obviously prolific and passionate. And uh, you're working on other projects as well, so you, you're both um, scoring uh, the film Nobody Here, mm-hmm. which is exciting. It's a challenge yeah. and a responsibility as well. I mean, obviously, we will. The film itself is going to feature some of the classic vaporwave tracks as well, but every film needs a, a score. Yeah. Like, yeah. How are you approaching that? So um, we had like a test run with with Chris Britton, director. Um, on a film called Psychedelica, which is about uh, psychedelic medicine in mental health treatments for like depression <clears throat> and post-traumatic stress disorder and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And um, that's just like a five-minute movie, uh, but we recorded like a bunch of um, bunch of cues for that. Um, and actually, um, so yeah, it was kind of like working on a feature film in miniature because we recorded loads of different stuff and kind of Chris selected what he needed for key moments. And actually, he he processed the audio like a film editor would. He was like, we gave him carte blanche to slow things down, chop things up, superimpose cues on top mm-hmm. of each other. Um, but yeah, it was just really nice for us to work. Like the the most of the music is kind of meterless. Like there's no drums. It's not necessarily in time. We just made like a bunch of really nice textures with some old synths and some pedals and some kind of very very mangled samples. Um, so we've got a bunch of cues already for this movie, but like we haven't seen any of the footage yet, so so it could all could all change. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we I think can... we'd, yeah, I think we'd probably <clears throat> probably approach it in a, in a in a similar sort of way, just put together a whole bunch of different ideas and themes, and kind of then just. Are you being Are the... you being influenced by the subgenres, for example? Because you know one of the yeah. aspects yeah. of Bayway was interesting is suddenly after the term was coined, people almost reacted with all these facetious names for micro-genres, some of which have lasted, you know, mm-hmm. Future Funk yeah. still exists, and Late Night yeah. Over, yeah. all of the other... Slush Wave. Yeah, all of these other things, which were almost ways of taking back the underground, I think, once the mainstream took an interest in Vaporwave itself. So are you going to take 
cues from those yeah. styles as well. Yeah, we got. I mean, like even <coughs> if they don't get used, it's good practice for us as producers to like work in as like genre exercises. Basically, I think um, it's kind of uh, maybe we don't do it enough, but like it's worth doing like for all the producers out there to like sometimes just open up your DAW and practice like so I, I've got a bunch of cues so you know we've got a bunch of cues where it's like okay I'm gonna make a slush wave track okay I'm gonna I, I don't personally listen to very much future funk but I've you know it's nice to kind of open up Ableton and just try and make a future funk track um so yeah some of this stuff that we've got at the moment may not get used but like none of it's in vain when you first, have you, so you have tried to make uh, Future Funk even for experiment. Did you, yeah, well, I'd say did you I, follow Frank Javsey's um, tutorial? I have watched that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, because I, I, I really, like, there's there's not much Future Funk that kind of does things to me. I think because I, I like classic house music. I even like French house music to an extent. But, um, yeah, in Future Funk, I, I prefer kind of vaporwave aesthetic at, like, slower tempos. Yeah. But um, I found an old hard drive from, like, 2006 to 2010. I sent Jerome some of the projects I've been working on. You were Jerome was kind of amused that I'd been like making future funk in like 2010 yeah. or earlier without realizing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You should still go back and release release that stuff. Yeah, um, the, the lost tapes. Obviously, the film's going to be a little while in production yet because no one can fly anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So the footage is going to take time, and that's going to bring with it interesting challenges down the line. But I suppose there's one question that is worth asking is why do you think this story is worth telling? You know, what, what is it that's interesting about vaporwave as a genre? Tom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you love, you love passive pass. <laughs> he likes to pass, don't you, Jay? The, yeah. the, um, the ethereal sort of very broad questions. Well, I'm just channeling your answer. He's, he's transmitting yeah. the answer. Just I'm just it, the, right? the conduit. Okay. Um, but, I think it's just interesting because it's it's one it's like an internet only genre. I think that I think that's what's interesting about it is that like the entire activity is conducted online, and I don't think there are many other genres I can think of. Maybe something like hyperpop, like this kind of AG Cook PC music type thing. Like maybe that counts, but I don't know. Like they're, they're, I can't think of many other genres which are like its entire story like happened online, like the. Uh, producers networked online, they're using like resources that, that they've kind of culled from online, you know, kind of ripping random things off YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's all, the whole network is is online and that means it's kind of been documented but in like quite a sort of strange way, like it, there's, there's, there's very little curation so far. I think like maybe, you know, after a decade it's like quite a nice landmark time for, you know, somebody to step in and to try and make sense of all this information because, um, there's been less curation than in, in other genres, you know, like, um, I think like my, my experience or the way I grew up listening to music was like very canonical. I think Jerome and I were talking about this last time I was down here. I was like a really nerdy kid. I used to go on this website called allmusic.com and I would like, I was obsessed with like learning about every genre, but I would like, the way I would do it would be like, I want to learn about, uh, IDM music. And I and I would like look at what what albums had five star ratings, and then I would like buy a bunch of Square Pusher and Aphex Twin CDs or whatever. Um, so I had like a really really curated like musical upbringing. Um, what's interesting about Vaporwave so far is it's just been like completely anarchic. Really, there aren't like that many magazines. There aren't that many. There's not like a TV station that broadcasts it and stuff. Like I think there's just all this amazing stuff out there, and I think like 
somebody taking on the mantle of like making sense of all this information, I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, telling a a story of vaporwave. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be impossible. The story of vaporwave <laughs> yeah. is hard. Yeah, yeah, and impossible challenge. I think it's almost like it's almost done in a cheeky way yeah, to yeah. call it the story of vaporwave because it's the idea for it is going to be and obviously Chris is the director so we'll get him on a podcast in the future to talk to him about his vision but it's people's stories mm-hmm. so it's a collection yeah. of stories and like you said you're you, short of being able to speak to everyone and make a film that goes on forever and ever you're not going to be able to tell the full story but you have to try to somehow make sense yeah. of all these different voices and give them a platform and like you said about curation that's one of the reasons why we started MPF was because we felt like all these amazing releases we'd become obsessed with, almost none of them were on vinyl. Yeah, so you were actually what you you're doing the exact thing that I that I would have looked for as a teenager, because it's like I needed somebody to like show me like what were the classic the classic examples of a genre because I'd set myself an impossible task of like trying to learn about like every genre or as much as possible. And like you can't do that by just like listening to random stuff and hoping for the best. You need mm. like an authoritative voice, and you know MPF has done that really well so far. DMT is another good label for doing that as well in terms of you know archivist role. Yeah, and that's what Vito says about DMT, and a lot of people look at it and business casual as well. Mm-hmm. You know, regular releases on a Friday. You know, if you if you needed a one-stop shop, any one of those labels. It's a good name. Would, good name for a song. Somebody should make a song called that. <laughs> There we are, yeah. Um, okay, I mean, look, nobody here is kind of a work in process, uh, progress, and it'll be interesting to keep coming back to how that is coming along. And I think that people will probably be really interested to find out more about that. So we'll have to bear that in mind. What What have you guys got planned for the next like couple of months as donor lens? We just uh, there's quite a lot of um, live streams and stuff going on, so we're trying mm-hmm. to get involved in a few of those. We're doing like a live live stream as well. Actually, yeah. that's a, that's that's the wrong way. Uh, a pre-recorded live live stream, as in we're we're putting together a live band to yeah. play our music uh, for a live stream, which should be really cool. Um, we've wanted to do that for a while. Yeah. I think like um, we've got like a sort of friendly competition with Runners Club ninety five, and we've been talking about. I think both of us separately have been talking about doing this for a while. Like, who's going to be the first to to put together a live live band and play some shows? Um, so yeah, we we're, we're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you first. We'll see you first. Yeah, well, I mean, their Pad Chennington yeah, uh, live performance. Oh my god, it's, it's just the two of them, but it's really beautiful. Yeah, it's you, a really special piece of work. We'll link that as you well. Watch that in the. Let me say you can watch that on the MPF. I'm making a note of all the things to to, to add to the description, so there that'll be your job later on. Cool. You put down uh, <laughs> Alvin Lucia times one thousand. I did yeah. try three yeah. uploads. <laughs> yeah, you should, you should put that down though, because right. you guys yeah. should watch that. It's really fascinating. Actually. Okay. Um, you have to remind me what it's called though, because I, I forget. Yeah, I don't know. Either. I have to ask you all the time what it's called. I just yeah. type in random words in YouTube search box <laughs> and hope for the best. I won't ask you this question, Jake, because you've got conflicts of interest running a label, but. Yeah. What um, if if you could think of three uh, vaporwave acts that are currently really inspiring you, like exciting you to hear? Um, well, I think we're going to talk to one of them now. She might. I think she's probably sending us DMs wondering where we are because we're supposed <laughs> to be chatting to her. But yeah, Data Girl's got an album coming out um, in September on Pacific Plaza, um, and we're on a track of that. Um, I think her work's really good. 
Uh, I think it's really interesting because she like brings like a choral background into things. Um, and she seems to be really into bossa nova music as well. And that like really works its way into her music. I think that's cool. It's like a really um, interesting take on the genre. I think like both of us agree that Eventual Infinity is like the most underrated mm -hmm. producer yeah. in the scene. Like on a technical level, I think his his like production skills are um, yeah, unreal. above and beyond like some big names, like a lot of big names. Like he, he's really, really up there. So yeah, really, 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 really rate him. And then um, I've been boring everybody silly by um, uh, listening. I listened to the entire three and a half hour Pacific, no, what's it called, uh, Private Suite podcast with Death Dynamic Child and um, I've been like passing off a lot of their words of wisdom as like my own um, insights <laughs> and stuff. Maybe we'll link some of them. <laughs> I don't know if I've been doing that we'll but, but it, was, it was it was really yeah we'll see. I'll have to go back over afterwards. <laughs> yeah so. if anyone wants to double check this podcast against that one there. Can we can we to... label this as a, a donor lens and death dynamic shroud? Yeah via via actually. death yeah. dynamic shroud via, via donor lens. Uh, but yeah like I think they, I, I, I just, I'm just fascinated by them because they've got really big doing something really bizarre. Um, they've got like such strength of artistic vision and like conception. Also, I think I just think it's really inspiring because I, I mean, you know, I'm I'm just about the wrong side of thirty, and I think they've been plugging away forever, and you know, it's happening. I think it's I think it's really inspiring. Like I don't, you know, not all their musical projects have kind of taken off. Um, and this is, you know, probably one of the weirder ones and it's, it's, you know, gone stratospheric really, you know, in vaporwave terms. Yeah. I think it's just really, you know, it's encouraging that, um, you know, this scene doesn't really care about stuff about, you know, you have to be young and beautiful and to like play by certain rules and games and stuff like they They just have like this complete tunnel vision. Well, it's almost yeah. the opposite in fact, isn't it? Because so much... Well, you don't think they're beautiful. I'm not saying that. <laughs> oh no! Let me just no. Hang on! Don't 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 stop the podcast now. We're gonna have to, oh, no no no. To extend this. No no, no no no. What I what I mean. I just got to cut it off dead then. What I mean is that almost the the early progenesis. The, you know the early genesis of the scene was uh, a lot of it was built around anonymity. It was around mm -hmm. pseudonyms in chat rooms and stuff like that. As you yeah. were saying yourself, and even now, I don't think there's that many artists who make a huge deal about pushing who they are and what they look like mm. that's not part that's not I think the biggest ones do I think well, that's maybe they shift. do and I, and I think that a good example of that is George Clanton I don't mm. think he'd mind that being said I'm no. sure that in his mind he's thinking in this you know like I, I am like you he, he he is the wrong side of 30 yeah I am too do you know what I mean and he's thinking this is I'm gonna make this I'm gonna make this work and I'm gonna make this big and he's quite unashamed in his ambition to take vaporwave into the you know the actual industry yeah. the industry interest and not mm -hmm. just niche online interest yeah and that getting on adult swim and getting anthony fantano reviewed and stuff that's a big breakthrough for our scene yeah i think there, there's a, obviously like some kind of backlash against stuff like that but it's like not quite in the spirit of things to be like identifying as a pop star and be like so obviously aspirational but like you know some of us want careers doing this like i don't i don't think that should be that's not like a dirty well and also like even in a more simplistic explanation why wouldn't you want someone who's making music if you really love someone's work wouldn't you rather that they were free to spend more time doing it to yeah. get better and to produce yeah. more content that yeah. you enjoy I, I maybe you get content, um, yeah content's a bad no, word I don't like that but you know what I mean like surely you would rather if, if your favourite artist is X 
you want them to be spending their time mm-hmm. making music, honing their skills and releasing more stuff that will inspire you and yeah. make you happy. Maybe they get their inspiration from working a crappy day job though. I had a crappy day job and MPF saved me from my yeah, crappy yeah. day job. So. <laughs> no, I agree and 100%. You, and that's yeah. the thing, and that's yeah. the message is that, you know, if we take one message from this, guys, yeah. that even on the wrong side of 30, but I think that's the spirit of DIY, right? If you can, yeah. if you can hustle hard enough that you you can make your living, you know, just about, but you can make your living doing what you love. I think that's that's a triumph of DIY. I don't think that's selling out. Hundred percent, I agree with you. And we haven't yet seen Vaporwave's first millionaire. I don't know when or if we will. It's not really about that. But I think it will be George, no... though. <laughs> it will be George. It may be George. It may be yeah. George. But there's no shame in people earning a living working in something like this because the spirit of it is constantly evolving and it remains honest I think in, in by far the majority of cases people are inspired by being part of this and that's why there is such a sense of collaboration amongst so many artists like no one is trying to stop someone else from getting up in no. fact the opposite is true people are trying to help each other get up yeah it's like friendly competition I think that's what Carl yeah. said um, Runners Club. Yeah. yeah, Carl was lightly ribbing us about our synthesizer collection. Yeah, um, <laughs> he maybe thinks you're a trust fund kid. Yeah, we're not. I can <laughs> no. assure, assure everyone we're not. But um, yeah, he said that like there's this spirit of friendly competition uh, of you know artists doing like broadly similar things, and you know we're all you know happy for each other when we we see successes. Yeah, yeah, and that's the beauty of it. Power PC me, fuzzy featuring Wizard of Loneliness.
Donor Lens, Spirit Receiver, featuring Daddy Girl.
like a flamingo. Right. Cool. So is it? So it's early morning where you are, is it? It is. Uh, my coffee's still kicking in. It's it's nine thirty four right now in the morning. Yeah. No, we're we're at the end of our working day. We're end of your working day, and I'm on holiday. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, that's right. Because you're in Wales right now, aren't you? Yeah. That's awesome. West coast. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like super miserable here at the moment. I mean. Yeah. Is it warm? Is it how's how's it how's the weather? <laughs> it's like warm, but warm but cloudy, and, and then it's thunderstorms for the rest of the week. I think we got yeah. so we got some epic stuff promised. I think. Oh, that sounds intense. Yeah, lots of humidity, I can imagine. It's humid in here at the moment because we got we can open the window, but then all the crazy people outside yeah, we're uh, like, will we're, feature on the recording, I think. Yeah, we're like, we're like right, on, right on the high street and it's pretty mad here. Hey, when I visited Wales, it was beautiful there. I Honestly, I'd love to go back. I well, man, you, to... you, you teased this story and you never yes. talked about it. Maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah. now this recording, we need to hear this. I'm guessing you didn't, you didn't visit, visit Barry High Street. I don't believe so. Yeah, we were we were in more of the rural country rural countryside. So, you remember where you went? So it's that place that's like actually a meme that because the name of the train station there is so long. Uh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I've, I, I could never that. hope to pronounce it. But... No, it's, it's such a shame that Enzo's just left because he because I'm pretty sure that he can say it. Yeah, I know it starts with Yan Fair, right? It's something yeah. like that. Whole yeah, okay. Double L's at the beginning, right? L exactly. And then, and then then it goes off. Exactly. It's like a literal name, right? It means the place by the mound and the blah 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 blah, right? Yeah, like beneath the something, but near the red church or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so cool. You went there. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, we spent a, I think it was a day or two there. Um, and then I can't remember the other town that we visited, but because we went to, it was a student travel group while I was in high school, so we went. To, um, we went to London, we went to Wales, uh, and I don't remember the exact parts of Wales that we went to besides that spot. And then we also went to Scotland and Ireland. So that was really wow. fun. You've, brought, you've yeah. quite possibly seen more of the UK than we have. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I've literally never been to Scotland or Ireland. Or yeah. like really? Anywhere yeah. up north at all. Right? Jealous. I'm jealous yeah. of your like, UK, <laughs> UK exploration. I would love to go back. I mean, honestly, being in a student group, it was so like planned and scheduled and like, you know, you're up super early in the morning and you're doing stuff till super late at night and there's like no time to rest. So I feel like there, I, I saw a ton of stuff, but I didn't get to really sit and experience the culture of the different places uh, for too long. So I'd love to go back and, and do that a little bit more, but it, sounds, know, it was. It sounds like you went a lot of, a lot of places and not, presumably not a very long time. Exactly. It's pretty cool though. It was a lot of fun for sure. I'm not knocking it at all. I saw, I went to, um, oh my gosh, uh, the the Cliffs of Mohair. Um, and, you know, saw that that really famous, uh, I don't think this is this, I'm not sure if this is in the same location or general location, but that really famous Led Zeppelin cover. Um, okay, well, and, on, the, on the beat, wait, is it, what's that? The, the Giant's Causeway? Exactly, right? Giant's Causeway, well, thank that's you. Just, that's outside Belfast, isn't it, in the north? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I went there quite recently. It's, that's crazy. Like, really. That place is amazing. It's so yeah, it's um, geometric, right? Like, the, there's just like mad sort of hexagon patterns just kind of 
like emerging from the ground. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's crazy to believe that that's real and that's just that's not you know that's just natural. That was wild to look at. It looks like a like render art. It's it a, totally does. It totally does. Oh, that's crazy. Well, your your UK geography is probably better than ours by the sound of things. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I've I've visited some very strange places in the states as well. So uh, maybe maybe yeah. in, uh, maybe in a return podcast, I can uh, tell stories about Paris, Texas, and very strange places like that. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, I've heard of Paris, Texas. I've never been there though. What is there's, Paris, Texas? Where there's well, there's there's a really famous movie. There's a Wim Wenders movie with a Ry Cooder soundtrack called Paris, Texas. So it's um, like the plot of the movie's like well, one of the subplots is this guy has like apparently owns like a small plot of land in Paris, but like Paris, Texas. Um, I think it, you know, it sounds really like glamorous and exotic, but it's like in the middle of nowhere and they've got like a scale model of the Eiffel Tower. And then they've got like a big statue of Jesus wearing a cowboy hat. And like, that's the, <laughs> that's, oh, like, that's amazing. And I, they don't much like the movie. The movie's like really, really hard going. And it's like quite a sort of, you know, this kind of Southern hospitality, like really kind of friendly people. And this is like a pretty, pretty harrowing art house movie. And I don't think they like the movie, but it may, they probably like the tourism it brings, but they don't, they don't like the movie itself. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I had no idea that was a movie. I'll have to look that up. The score is unbelievable. It's got like a really beautiful slide guitar score by Ry Kuda. Very That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I've, wait, I'm just going to grab something. Sorry. I've got, I've got a list of questions that I want to ask you. So, um, yeah, so we, we like to be, Wow. Yeah, I know. Well, cause I, we just had our actual host leave. I don't know where he's gone. Where's, where's Vince gone? I got no idea. Okay. So, so we were, we were just recording <laughs> the main body of this podcast, but, um, the, the host has checked out. So I'm like next in the succession <laughs> oh, yeah. order. Yeah, Tom goes above me in the My Pet Flamingo podcast. Oh, is that what it is? Like, <laughs> we're getting on page. Okay. There's, there's like a, I don't know how many years there is between everyone, but I've, I've kind of stepped up second second in line on based on Second age. in command. Basically, yeah. I, I just hate what, um, like interviews and, 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 and speaking when there's a like a, like a recording happening. So, oh, it's totally nerve wracking. Yeah, I have to convince myself it's not actually recording and that I'm just talking <laughs> and just forget about it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to do like a really, really um, unsubtle kind of swerve and use that as a starting point because, uh, so talking about uh, putting your own voice on things for the first time, um, I believe I'm right in saying that the Spirit Receiver track on Midnight Story is the first time that you've used your own voice on like a published track, like whether it's your own or a collaboration. Is that, is that correct? So I had, yeah, I, I would say yes in the formal sense because mm -hmm. on the Dream In remix for Power PC Me um, that you two did together, yeah, uh, there are my vocals on there, but I don't explicitly say that, and I re it's really just like some oohs and ahs and humming, so it's not I like it's not real singing. I thought that was the case, but like. Um, I actually said in like the main the main body of this podcast that like the way you use your vocal samples sounds so similar to your actual recorded voice. There's like a kind of shared technique and shared attitude, like shared approach. So it's it's, it's really cool that it lines up that way. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you pointed that out in uh, our DMs recently, and I thought that was interesting because I had never actually noticed that myself. But you're totally right. Um, I tend to go for this sort of mid-range, like mezzo-soprano kind of sound, I guess. Um, you know, like just just a really comfortable singing range. And They're like, really more of, like, as well. Like, um, I think like it's it's not like forceful singing, right? It's very naturalistic, and there's this nice kind of air at the top of the vocals, whether it's your sample or whether it's your kind of wordless vocals. Definitely, I, I like that chilled out kind of effortless feeling, I guess, to a, to a singer's voice. Because you, you've been talking about Bossa Nova stuff recently, right? And there's like a big Bossa yes. influence on your upcoming material. That's like short of like, I don't know, sort of Frank Sinatra crooning or something like that's about as naturalistic as singing gets, right? Like it's the microphone just sounds like it's kind of right up in the singer's face and they're just, you know, it's like, it's so quiet the way these, these singers are performing and it, it's, it feels very intimate and it kind of invites you into the, into the space with the performers. Exactly. No, you're totally right. That's what I love about um, the singer I sampled on the most recent single, uh, Babel Gilberto. She's amazing and she just has this effortless kind of almost airy quality to her voice. It's And it's like, it's like she's just like tossing her hair behind her shoulder like, I don't care about anything in the world. You know, I'm just going to sing and sound pretty. That's exactly what it reminds me of. I mean, that's kind of, that's a nice description of the vibe of your upcoming record in general, right? Like, so... I mean, do, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the concept of your album that's coming out? Absolutely. Um, it's so interesting how the concept kind of evolved over time because I started uh, the first track for Destination Spot actually last year before I had finished Heaven Cry. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what tends to happen with my musical projects is I'll start many uh kind of in a short span of time, like I'll have like a million different ideas for new albums or collaborations or whatever, and they'll get started, but then it's like, okay, now I need to pick one to really hone in on and finish. And um, with the Spa album, it, it was kind of like, I, I very quickly amassed like three or four tracks that I was like, okay, this is an idea. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been working on uh, the whole idea and the whole album since like around this time last year. Yeah, and uh, a year's an eternity in vaporwave time, isn't it? It really it's is. Like jokes about people banging out an album a week or whatever. That's a, a exactly. Year. That's like a mainstream album cycle almost. Exactly. No, it's I, I see people just like pumping it out every couple of weeks, and I'm like, this is nuts. Like I could well, never be confident enough to do that. I don't know his name, but the the Spotify CEO when he he annoyed a bunch of us in the community by saying that you know three or four years between album cycles is too much. You need to, you need to be making much more content. I remember that, oh them, man. Fixing their business model. Yeah, the, the internet did not like that one, that's mm -hmm. for sure. So yeah, so, so that's that's coming out imminently, right? That's, that's coming out in September on Pacific Plaza, is that correct? Yeah, September 12th is the official release date. Um, and to revisit uh, kind of what you were asking before, it's the whole sort of concept behind the album is to just like take a moment for yourself. Like it's just kind of a big self-care vibe for the most part, like, you know, listen to these songs, like pay attention to how they make you feel and like remember that feeling for when times get tough. And then also like it, as much as it's meant to be relaxing, it's also meant to be energizing so that like when you get through the album, you feel like you've just had this whole treatment and like you can go back and you can face the world again. 
that's nice. That's what the world needs right now. They probably, I think we probably gave the world exactly what they don't need right now with our <laughs> just intoxication. intoxication and... um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be, being out late at night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, no, I, I loved the album. I thought Midnight Store was brilliant. Thank you very much. It's, it's kind of two approaches to self-care, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Two sides of the coin. Your your one is much more healthy. Although you do have um, alcoholic drinks on your artwork. That's true. And it's so funny. Like, I didn't consider um, that that might not be so accessible for a younger crowd. I guess I just, like, the kid in me has died officially. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, wow. Has but... there been, have people said, like, why are there drinks on your... Oh, no. No, no, no. That's just me overthinking things. But... Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I think that might be, uh, maybe that's why we collaborate well. I think um, we're, we're classic overthinkers. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I totally feel you. Like, I'm the overcommunicator, I'm the overthinker, like, just making sure everything is concrete. Uh, anyway. <laughs> it's, it's good to be that way. Um, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and um, talking about, like, oversharing and talking too much, I think... Um, I'm just looking for an excuse to drop in the the fact that when you when you announced the kind of spa concept of your record, they like it got me really excited because it reminded me of this place that I went to in Osaka called Spa World, which is like a spa theme park with like uh, themed rooms, like themed on kind of different countries, um, and it, it's probably the most surreal and absurd place I've ever been to. That place was fascinating. Immediately when you sent me that link, I was like, this is so cool. And I spent like a good probably 30 minutes just like looking through all the different rooms on the website. And then I even went on YouTube and I was like, somebody has to have been here. Like, yeah. like some, totally somebody has that. to have taken footage. There's other strange kind of promo videos for it. You're right. Wow. Yeah. So it's really strange. So, so um, yeah, people check out the Spa World's uh, website. I think they, they do have an English language one. It's obviously more vaporwave in in Japanese, so uh, you know, take your pick. But um, basically, I think they've got two floors of spa rooms. One is like a Europe floor, weirdly, even though it's in Japan, and the other floor is like rest of the world. And I think I was in the rest of the world floor, and there's like this kind of Persian room and this ancient Egyptian room, and just like all sorts of weird stuff. And it's like. I mean, I suppose it's well done in, in one way, but it's kind of well done in the way that like a theme park is well done. Like it's really artificial and it really <laughs> does look like... Um, so who, who's that visual artist to you? Is, is she called Catherine, Catherine Blake? Is that her name or Blake Catherine? Oh, Blake. Her name's Blake Catherine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it really reminded me of like her renders. Um, there's, was, there's that book, I think it's called Dreamscapes and Impossible Architecture. It's like a new kind mm -hmm. of coffee table book out. And uh, yeah, she like she features quite heavily in it, along with like other similar render artists. And you get you know these surreal environments. Um, I mean, your your latest visual work really kind of fits into that aesthetic as well. These kind of uncanny um, relaxation spaces. Um, you know, there's you just kind of I don't know. You, you get the sensation of wanting to explore these spaces, like you're kind of playing some kind of previous generation games console and you just you know you really want to interact with these spaces that is a huge compliment because that book and um you know surrealist kind of living spaces have been exactly what i've been inspired by and in trying to recreate lately so thank you right. <laughs> i appreciate that, that a lot saying previous previous generation console was a dig but i think um maybe making uh 
man, I'm so I'm so little of a gamer. I don't even know what what current generation consoles are. Xbox, <laughs> Xbox One. Xbox One. I was gonna say I was gonna say three six. And the Switch. Yeah, yeah the Nintendo Switch. Up. Okay, yeah. I <laughs> okay, yeah. I did I did know PS5 was coming out. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like that quality of render is kind of impossible for or very difficult for one home you know like a single person to make with like domestic equipment right rather than a team with commercial equipment um or not sorry i'm kind of confused by your question <laughs> I'll be it honest. wasn't a question it was me me babbling. Oh. but i think like so like the to make something of the the quality of you know like, like current a new, generation. Age, a new age console that's not work that can realistically be done by one person on home equipment right no definitely not i mean it, it depends like some people have really crazy home setups like i know blake catherine like she's a, a freelance worker and she posted her computer specs before and she has like three of my graphics cards and <laughs> And like, I have a pretty nice graphics card, but when you got three of them, you can really, you got some render power there. <laughs> and people will just have, have like whole render farms in their houses so that they can yeah. do work from home. And that's just thousands and thousands of dollars. But there you go. Well, um, that's, that's um, we're learning. Because, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we're very prolific uh, musically, but we do not have a visual eye uh, between us, ironically, given our, our project name. But yeah, we've, we've, we've had. Um, <laughs> Very, very talented visual artists, <laughs> uh, such as Victor Arce and Tropical Virtual and uh, yeah, Vitomo and sort of very uh, like you know moving visual artists as well. Duke Domo, yeah, Duke Domo. Shout out Duke Domo, actually UK. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, we're 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 very envious of people like you who can do audio and visual stuff both. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, I I only just started learning. Uh, Cinema 4D actually a year ago it coincided with uh, the data girl alias coming to life actually so th that the whole alias has been a way to explore like the intersection of uh, music and uh, kind of being introduced to making virtual spaces and and like 3D art so I appreciate that but also like don't get it don't get me wrong you guys are good and that you don't spread yourself too thin like you definitely have a, a musical sound honed in that is instantly recognizable across both um, Miracle Lounge and Midnight Store. Well, that's so. that's a that's a relief to hear. I think we might be stretching that to the absolute limit <laughs> of our projects, but um, we'll see how long people stay on board with what we do for. Because um, we've got we've got big big ambitions musically. Uh, whether or not we can pull them off is especially another question. with all these like live and live stuff we've, we've recorded recently. We've just done some like everyone's been like wildly wildly different yeah um because actually i like what the way you perform live i mean correct me if this is like if this isn't quite right but there's definitely like a day, day to go like uh live set format of these kind of um dance tunes played at like a slightly lower temp tempo with like the cool graphics by often by all hell breaks loops um and there's like there's like a really cool formula we have every time we've done a live show we've done something completely different uh and just made life really difficult for ourselves <laughs> <laughs> i think that the community really appreciates seeing people uh play their instruments well though i'll be honest with you <laughs> like like seeing actually talented instrumentalists doing something really live i think is super thrilling you'll, you'll be pleased to hear that we didn't really play any instruments in the live set we recorded yesterday we played nintendo ds and um 
like chaos pattern. chaos pattern just doodled about on Ableton. So uh, this might That's be wonderful. where we lose our audience. Uh, <laughs> we, we had fun. We were also. I can't we, wait. We were sat cross-legged on the floor, um, like a la George Clanton, a la a hero. And, um, that's exactly what I'm gonna do for mine too. Oh, that's so funny for the oh, my. Cool. Well, uh, we're really sore today. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I'll get a, a floor cushion. Yeah. Well, we had one of those. So that wasn't enough. It's just sitting it wasn't enough. <laughs> I had to borrow some trousers off you as well, didn't yeah. I? I was wearing jeans and they're way too stiff, and I had to borrow some tracky bums off you. Oh, wait, tracky bums is peak English. <laughs> yeah. Um, tracky <laughs> trousers. Um, that's wonderful. Jogging bottoms. Some joggies. It's a bar some doggies up yeah. you. Um, but yeah, it wasn't enough. I think once you get there. past, I think once you get past twenty-five, sitting cross-legged on, on the floor for longer than like ten minutes is, mm. is uh, tricky. It's painful. No, I I'm I'm currently twenty-four, but yes, I totally. Once you you get to a certain age in your twenties, and you're like, wow, this is weird. Yeah. Why does my body hurt all the time? Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I, I remember like being a kid and like you know like when you're like. Um, well, you played sitar, right? Like you have to yeah. sit in that position. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I was I was always terrible for that. There's like there's like a specific position you're meant to sit with your legs. Yeah. But I never did it because I was just like, legs. But yeah, the, the idea is that you, <laughs> you do it for so long that it kind of gets you into it. So That's, I, um, I used to do like a, like a pseudo sort of close to the right position, kind of. Kind That's of one of one of the weirdly given how um, inflexible and um, yeah immobile we are. That's sort of one of the reasons we know each other is uh through like a uh yoga yoga class that your mum would run yes so um yeah that's a, really cool yoga, yoga brings done and together i think both of us need to do a whole lot more yeah because um <laughs> we're, we're really hobbling about today oh me too no i was really into it actually in high school because they offered classes they offered they offered yoga classes uh really early in the morning uh, as part, you, you could do that for your PE credit, um, like yeah. your physical education credit. And uh, I got really into it and then I graduated and stopped doing it. And that was bad. <laughs> that was the wrong decision. Yeah. Oh man, um, I think we should talk a little bit more about uh, uh, maybe like the spirit receiver, the track itself. Um, yeah. How it came about. Because I was thinking one of the first things that we ever talked about so it probably was like exactly a year ago uh, was I think you put out something out on Twitter, like asking, like, does anybody have any examples of uh, like really beautiful modal music? I think you wanted to hear some like Mixolydian stuff or something. I don't know. Um, and I remember posting uh, Sandy Denny from Fairport Convention, Convention singing a song called Renadine. And I think I just remember you being like really enthusiastic about it. And I think like for this entire year, maybe like there's been something stewing in the background of this kind of um, like folky pastoral thing that finally kind of came to fruition in Spirit Receiver. Yeah, no, good point. Absolutely. I mean, because you have that receive my soul and it doesn't have a leading tone. It's so like, I think it's, I think it's like pentatonic or something, but it's got that vibe for sure. And when you sent me that kind of little lick um, that you had in mind, I was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it for sure has that sound, especially with the, the parallel fourths in there. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that, that sample is from like a different English folk group. Um, and then actually like the, the sample at the end of the track is, um, uh, from uh, Rafe, Ralph. oh my boy Rafe. Oh yeah, you you pronounce it. <laughs> well. um, so yeah, there's 
it kind of makes perfect sense in our kind of warped donor lens midnight store logic to uh, get a West Coast American to uh, sing some very pastoral English folk music, but it might have made more sense for us to uh, do it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, I'm, I may not have had the right um, the right vocal tone or vocal, uh, well, no, I we, guess, the right we, accent. We definitely did, because actually, the so we had the sample, the sample was kind of pre-existing in the track, and it wasn't quite like saying what we wanted it to say and stuff, and actually like you overlaying your vocals on that like really uh, cleared, it cleared the, the meaning. Um, I think there's a, there's an example that I'm not sure there's a, a Kanye West track on Life of Pablo where he samples an Arthur Russell tune, mm -hmm. and um, I think the Arthur Russell song is talking about islands or something, and Kanye West like uh, puts stuff over the top and it makes it sound like he's saying hours rather than islands, and I think like on on this spirit receiver thing I think I think it's saying um, the original lyric I think the sample says uh, receive thy soul yeah it says receive thy soul that's exactly right and we, we, it's just it sounded so weird we're like why why have we got this like really arcane English like coming out of the at the end of like quite a modern sounding record and like mm -hmm. you you overdubbed saying my um, mm -hmm. with like your own thing and it, like I know it sounds tiny but it made just like the mo most enormous difference and the response has been so amazing I mean people seem to really connect with it it's yeah. really really cool yeah every every review mentions that one yeah absolutely I think because it's you know it's a ballad it's like um it's like, uh, I mean, this is going to sound really self-aggrandizing, but like, honestly, it's like a Purple Rain tempo, right? Like, it's 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 an epic way to finish a record, like a huge power ballad. Yeah, I'm not oh, saying totally. it's because it's got that it's got that like wailing that it's got that wailing guitar line, or I think mm -hmm. it's a guitar, right? <laughs> you guys have so many wild instruments. Sometimes I'm not sure. Um, and the, but you know the ba, ba, na, na, ba, na, na, it's just yeah. so epic and like the, that slow driving rhythm. Yeah, yeah, it's really slow. Anyway. Yeah, I think every review has mentioned that, so it's it's really amazing. That's one of the reasons we're really keen to get you on because I think people people want to know a little bit more about this tune because it's um it is quite you know it's it's like a you know a pop ballad coming out of the the kind of weirder half of the record. Like I'd, I'd say. The way the way the Midnight Store album is, is structured is that the first half is like a little bit brighter and more optimistic. The second half, like things get really weird. Maybe like the peak weirdness is um, finishing with a ballad, like a <laughs> pop ballad with you know with like a, a full vocal, you know, like not a looped vocal really. It's it's more or less a full pop vocal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like you're going on this this whole journey through your night. You're out with your friends, and stuff gets a little weird. And then by the end, it's kind of that like foggy, like I'm already hungover, and it's not even the next day yet kind of feeling. I think, <laughs> I think that's what we're thinking. I think some reviewers think that like the protagonist, you know, if the record even has a protagonist, I think they think that that he dies, he or she dies. Uh, <laughs> I don't think our records are serious. That we definitely weren't thinking there were any facts involved. No, I mean, I guess it's... that's intense. Wow. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. If you want to interpret it that way, I mean, kind of the people, people can interpret our music however they like it. Don't mind. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's a bit full on. I'm not sure there's a death in the record. I don't think it's as heavy as that. But um, you know, it's it's a. I think it's just a, it's an evening evening of excess. Um, and then spirit receiver. I mean, there's you know, it sounds like the kind of the lights coming out. You know, you stayed out too late, and the and it's getting light outside. Yeah. Yeah. We've got, yeah, a, exactly. we've got another track on that same theme on a different project. So we talked about it elsewhere in the podcast, but the two of us and uh, Vince um, from MPF do 
the Innocence kind of vaporwave stuff. We've got, we use a famous sample, four, four o'clock in the morning sample, which is on the same theme. You know, the light, the light, light coming up as a sign that, you know, maybe you should go home and, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, that's cool. Um, yeah, we should probably wrap it up fairly soon because uh, Jerome's going to have a hell of an edit to do. But um, uh, yes. <laughs> anything else to announce or anything you want to ask us or um, any questions you want to feed us? I mean, I guess this I'm is a up. good time to announce that you two are actually featured on the Destination Spa yeah, album. I don't know yeah. why I haven't mentioned that. <laughs> I was just going <laughs> to mention that. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, so that, that was a lot of fun to do. Um, so it's the track yeah. Exhale in the Steam Room. Exactly. So the track is called Exhale in the Steam Room featuring Donor Lens. Um, and that's coming out when the full album drops on September 12th. And um, both Jerome and Tom are featured doing various cool instrumental things. <laughs> you get a speaker each. I think that's, um, it's a bit like um, Speaker Box, The Love Below, the Outcast record. You know, Andre 3000 gets a half, Big Boy gets a half. So... I, I'm, I'm doodling about on my SH-101 in one speaker and Jerome is uh, putting down the jazz chords in, in the other speaker. Oh yeah. I think it's, uh, I also think we're I, a bit I can't like, wait for you to hear the... This is a really English record. Sorry, we both started talking like, at the same time. <laughs> you were probably going to say something useful and I was about to say that um, there are some really uh, populist kind of light entertainers in the UK called Anton Deck. Um, and, <laughs> and they're like a famous kind of light entertainment double act and they always appear on screen in like the same order yeah, they're always the same the same way around so i think ants on oh the, that's funny on the right or whatever so i think like the the as the donor lens project gets refined i think you know we get speaking <laughs> there you go <laughs> might, might just yeah make our own might not listen to each other's parts and we just like do do something each and to tell people to play it at the same time so yeah, one of these panned hard right, one of these panned hard left, and then well, it's just I mean, always the, the same. The XL in the steam room is the first manifestation of this this evolution of the Donald's concept. <laughs> unless unless you've changed uh, the the stems that we sent you, but that's 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 how we made it. I think I did add a bit of phasing, but nothing nothing too crazy. It's still it actually it sits really nicely when one thing's on on the right and one thing's on the left like that. Usually I, I don't tend to do that, but it sounds sounds nice in this instance for sure. Cool. Well, that's that's what we insist on from from now yeah. on. <laughs> only only hard panning, nothing else. And are, are we the only feature on that record? You are actually. Oh no, no. Are you? Yes. It's kind of more or less at the sort of midpoint of the record. Is that right? Uh, so that one, it's it's about it's in the second half, but it is towards the middle, I believe. Yes, it's sort of in this moment. Um, it's like everything kind of picks up to a higher energy in the middle of the album, like tracks five and six. And I believe it's track seven, Exhale in the Steam Room. Um, and that it's just kind of this, and that, that, that's why I'm calling it Exhale specifically, because it's kind of like, okay, you've had your whole treatment. You've swam in the pool a little bit, like you got some drinks with your friends, time to go just sit and meditate, basically. You know, like let the heat kind of pull all the stress out of your body, so... That's the idea behind that whole track. Cool. I'm excited I, I for hope, everybody. To I hope we contributed to the relaxation and haven't made it like a stressful, stressful listening experience. Because um, no, there is like we did. No, it's been wonderful. Kind of slightly some edges to the track, I'd say. Like if we did <laughs> like put down really smooth parts, like there's some quite strange stuff coming off this SH101 synth. 
Oh, it's great. I used pretty much the entire SH-101 part. <laughs> it just nice. sounds wonderful. I love it. The, 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 full, the full jam take. That's um, what Frank Zappa calls the, the stunt take. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that, that, He's such a character. Yeah. I, I, I was saying to Strawberry Station yesterday, um, shout out Strawberry Station, um, we, we were talking about how much Frank Zappa would hate takeaways. I think he would hate Oh, totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Every, he'd think, he'd think we're a bunch of bunch of punks yeah yeah <laughs> but that's good uh, still love his music yes now he's still the master all right well it's been really really nice speaking to you um, yes you as well we should do this again soon yeah definitely maybe without the record button on <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, we were talking about that, the red light fever so you, you prob- probably didn't get the truest representation of us because uh, we can see this flashing recording button and it um, sets us on edge but um uh- Oh, same here, because I'm, I'm still half asleep, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> Maybe like, Maybe chugging this coffee on the side, hope, hoping the mic doesn't pick it up. Nice. No, we, we heard no <laughs> coffee noises. That, actually, um, our uh, Miracle Lounge album is full of um, coffee being brewed. Yeah. In, in oh my gosh, rich. that's interesting. I'll have yeah, to go back and listen to that. Yeah, I do. Um, there, I think, like, in probably about half the tunes, there's kind of um, sounds from various lounges uh like uh, airport lounges around the world and you hear a lot sort of clinking coffee cups and uh coffees being brewed that's really cool i'll be honest the um i got some inspiration from uh the uh, miracle lounge album for the Ooh. destination spa album for sure just that very chill kind of calming vibe and you guys have so much cool foley work on there that mm-hmm. i tried to incorporate as well i took that helped helped me realize i should take that approach when doing the whole concept album thing so yeah we we'll definitely recommend that to um other producers like try to incorporate found sound into into your recordings i think it, it makes things sound really alive you know if you're just using kind of uh virtual instruments and stuff and you've got a very clean production it just kind of adds this kind of something that would be very difficult or impossible to do with sound design you know just just sounds that you've recorded and you can just yeah them, you can just grab them on your phone just yeah like, and youtube i think yeah. i think going exploring on youtube is no different to um Going exploring in the real world, I think it's I think it's so on brand for vaporwave, and I, I'd yeah, it's a it's a uh, trick I, I nicked off uh, Burial, the British producer Burial, uh, yes, who does that loads, and it just it, it really situates you in a space. So yeah, if you're trying to make music that uh, evokes a space, get on that foley. Absolutely, hard agree. You'll hear lots of water water foley in the in the coming albums to kind of put you in that space so that's exciting all right perfect well really nice speaking to you apologize apologies if we've been saying data girl the whole time we're supposed to be saying data girl oh no please i actually it's so funny i think about this all the time i actually prefer data girl because i think it sounds better but i say data girl naturally just i don't even it's it's weird (laughs) so i don't i don't mind which one you use it sounds really strange in um english accents I can imagine. That's so funny. Uh, like tracky bums. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to make that catch on here. Or tracky bums. Yes. <laughs> People will look at you. They'll just be like, what are you What are you saying? <laughs> I'll be like, it's tracky bums. You know what? It's, it's fine. Just don't worry about it. Well, good luck with that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk soon for sure. And have a great rest of your night, guys. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Speak to you later. Bye. 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 See you soon. Synchro start. Leisure pursuit.
like a flamingo. Right, I'm here with Ali Wedderburn, who plays fretless bass on the track Tiski off our Midnight Store album, and also featured on the standalone single Reich Park, which he released a few months before. Um, Ali, do you want to tell me about uh, your relationship with the fretless bass as an instrument? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up playing the double bass and then moved on to the electric bass in my teens. Uh, and that was a fretted bass, but it, it made sense to move to back towards a kind of fretless instrument, I think, partly because that was what I was uh, used to, but also because uh, I was listening to fretless bassists, uh, obviously Jacko being the kind of uh, sort of uh, load star for that, but um, that's Jacko Pastorius. Jacko Pastorius, uh, yeah, sorry. Bass heads. Uh, Jacko Pastorius, the bassist for the band Weather Report, and also the creator of a quite magnificent solo album as well called Jacko Pastorius. Um, and then also players like Pino Palladino and um, Mick Khan of Japan, and uh, yeah, but just began getting quite into that kind of 80s sound thing of a lot of chorus and a few octaves and quite expressive playing which you know isn't always done on fretless but it, it often is uh, and that was kind of what I wanted to sound like so I mean me and you played in the band but you know a long time ago now probably 10 years ago but that was about the, mo the, the moment that I kind of made that step mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah it makes sense trying to channel that 80s fretless bass sound into an indie aesthetic, but it also makes sense in a vaporwave context as well. It's like a very evocative sound. Those three players you mentioned are quite different. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. But like all three of those things, so like Jacko Pistorius being like a kind of fusiony and quite virtuosic player, and then Mick Khan being like quite self-taught and quite erratic and yeah. like not necessarily great on a technical level, but unbelievably sure. imaginative. And then, uh, who do you say, Pino Palladino, having this like dual career, doing like pretty corny pop stuff, yeah, but like yeah. really good pop stuff, like the yeah. Paul Young stuff, and then having like a second wind as this like R&B gun for hire, yeah. um, not often playing fretless so, right? No, for, right, for so like D'Angelo and stuff. But yeah, the session basis to, to kind of end all session basis. Um, but I think all three of those for all their manifold differences have in common a, uh, I think the, the thing that I value most on the bass and the even fretted bassists, I think that the fretted bassists that I love um, have in spades is uh, an ability to make the bass serve the song, but to do it in a really kind of creative and engaging mm -hmm. way. Um, I really like Paul McCartney's playing and as far as I'm aware, he's never picked up a fretless, but um, He's a melody player, right? Yeah, yeah. right. And, and those three guys um, are all pretty. Yeah, and they right? all kind of yeah do have lines that uh, you know sometimes virtuosic. But I'm amazed, like listening to Jacko's albums, how often he's reining it in mm -hmm. actually and playing these lines that are very accomplished and very uh, developed and very thought through, but which also have a wider function and purpose within the piece of music or well, often that Jacko's composed himself or that he's yeah. arranged or both. Well, there's that um, portrait of Tracy, there's like a little melodic hook which is on that Sisters With Voices tune, Rain, 
Yeah, which I is love like that a, tune. I can't, that slow jam. Yeah, and that's like a vaporwave classic as well. I is can't it? remember the artist yeah. who, who did it, but that's that's a hook that people gravitate towards. Yeah, for sure. So but even that, so that's like the purest virtuoso piece, I think, or like mm -hmm. the most obvious because it's a solo bass thing and it's just a kind of vehicle for Jacko to lay yeah. his chops out. Yeah, no But it's also no. just so beautiful and so well composed. Yeah, it's a real beautiful composition, a really thoughtful composition. And uh, yeah, it's that that I think him and Pino and Mick Khan, for example, have in common. Well, that's cool. So you definitely try to play bass in a very melodic way and not sure. just, it's not just like a root notes yeah. thing. No. Not roots and fits. Um, so yeah, like the first time, well, I think we actually recorded the tracks in the wrong order, the reverse order they were released. Yeah. So the first people heard of you on a Donorlands project was this track, Reich Park, mm. which we snuck out with like an old friend of ours, actually from those those indie pop days. Yeah, yeah. Um, guy called Paul Cousins who releases ambient music as Dream Ending. Um, he's also got a sideline. I think under his own name, actually, he's like a Instagram gear superstar yeah. with these uh top top down uh They're videos really pretty videos yeah, yeah beautifully shot videos of him with his reel-to-reel -reel tape player and a bunch of very very aesthetic gear playing really nice ambient stuff but um yeah he's got he's got a record called um where he re-releases under dream ending he's he's released two albums under that name i think he releases under on a swedish ambient label they do cassettes and stuff um but yeah, so he is on that track. Uh, so on the right part track, it's Donalens, there's Dream Ending, and then there's you on bass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so the right part thing is supposed to be about a concert hall in Tbilisi in Georgia, which is like this really kind of beautiful, extravagant, modernist concert hall that basically got 99% finished. And then there was a leadership change uh, kind of complete political overhaul and the whole project was scrapped. So yeah. there's this concert hall complex which never staged any context and I think that got my brain worrying and uh, I think like the Dona Lenz boys uh, got the basis of a track going and we wanted to get some collaborators on. Um, do you have any memories of tracking your parts for that or like what you were trying to achieve with your part on that? Well you're the only one I think who's been to that concert hall, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I live in Glasgow now, and near there, there is this place called St. Peter's Seminary, which was this incredible modernist, beautiful, like brutalist building built out in the sticks outside Glasgow um, to train, well, it was built to train Catholic priests, but it's this really weird, forward thinking kind of building. And then just it was about to be finished, similar, I guess, to this place in Tbilisi, it was decided that Catholic priests would be trained in cities, like within communities, as opposed to mm -hmm. out in the sticks, like away from them. So it was used for about 10 years, but not even really used even then. And now it's just this great rotting, kind of hulking mass yeah. sinking into the forest. Um, it's an amazing place. Uh, so when you were kind of explaining the vibe to me, I obviously couldn't really get a handle on this place in Tbilisi beyond looking at the very beautiful pictures that you showed me, but yeah. it reminded me a lot of, of that space, which is obviously near to where I live. Um, and yeah, my memories of tracking it, I mean, it, it was during lockdown, right? So um, it was done remotely mm -hmm. and it was done, uh, I guess, kind of blind because you're not having that kind of communication in between takes of yeah. kind of a bit more of this, but less of this. So there's an element of kind of second guessing that goes on, but I think that also kind of helps 
um, you to think, or helps one to think critically and creatively about the parts you're playing in a way that perhaps you, it's easier to lean on people when you're in the studio physically with people and when you're own, on your own. Um, yeah, you've got to be a little bit more kind of proactive in that sense. And I enjoyed that yeah. and uh, working with Paul as well and, and what he adds to that track. Um, it was actually his parts, I think, that made my bass part kind of follow, so his yeah. little string parts in, in bits. We kind of took a layer each, right? So you you playing fretless bass were on the kind of lower frequencies. Yeah. Donor Lens stuff is all in the middle, really. I wrote a chord progression, Jerome wrote like a very beautiful kind of live sounding drum part and Paul was doing all this twinkly stuff up at the top. So yeah. We kind of had a band each. For sure, but I think like if you're saying, I think you're right that I like playing melodic lines mm -hmm. and it was only when Paul did his bit that I kind of really found what that melody was going to be. I yeah. was kind of fudging around before then, um, but that was kind of the impetus really for, for my part on that track. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, it's a lot of fun, that bass part, I think. Yeah, uh, well I think the you sent like a final take, which was a bit of um, what Frank Zappa would call a, a stunt take. That was yeah, one. So sure. Frank Zappa hired Steve Vai in his sort of 80s band to basically do kind of completely ridiculous stuff. But I think it's quite nice if you're doing multi-track recording to have like a the final take being like one where you you're you take risks and you're not afraid to make mistakes and stuff. And like if there's some magic in that, then you comp that in. So I think like a few of those moments made it in. I think mm. there were some kind of very safe, uh, correct takes, and then there were some takes where it was a little bit more widdly. Yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, we kind of constructed something quite fun. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that. Um, more relevant to the Midnight Store uh, concept is, is the track Tiski, which we actually recorded, I think a long time before. June like 2019, we would have yeah. recorded it. Because I think you'd you'd come back from Australia. Yeah, I lived in Australia for a bit, and I came back for June yeah. for that whole month, basically June 2019, and we met up. Yeah. And we had a very similar day today. To today, actually. Yeah. So we went to the corner shop. We picked up four Polish lagers, mm -hmm. uh, tiskies, tiskies precisely, yeah. and then came back and just kind of absentmindedly made some music yeah. and chatted and. No podcasting up. though. No podcast. Everybody's got a podcast these days. Yeah. Uh, but you didn't at that stage. Uh, so yeah, did all we not. did was record this kind of woozy little track and uh, yeah, I was delighted when it made it onto that album. So yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it was always destined for a Donalens project. It, it may, at one stage, it might have been used for uh, my solo projects called Love and Dust. Uh, we actually tracked some stuff. I don't know if we did it that day, but we, we tracked a bunch of stuff for an EP um, with you playing Fretless Space as well. I can't remember whether that was remotely or if we did that at the same I time. I can't remember either, yeah. It seems. But yeah, I remember the Tiski sessions very clearly and there's all these clanking bottles with the Tiski beer sound and um, actually you're not just playing bass, um, I think you were playing the Juno 106 which sits directly to your left right Little now bit, as well. Yeah, and I think that is my favourite, maybe my favourite synth, certainly my favourite uh, sort of, you know, keyboard mm -hmm. synth. Um, yeah, it's a really, really ubiquitous like, sound, isn't it? It is, but it's, it's beautiful. The, the the interface is so, yeah, just great. Yeah. So kind of self-explanatory. I think it's the easiest synth to kind of 
program and get usable sounds out of that's not like a preset machine. Like yeah, a, right. So I've got whatever. a Juno Alpha at home and it's a fucking nightmare mm -hmm. to, to, to change things on because it's that scroll wheel with a little digital oh, window. It's, it's got a Hoover sound on it. Though. It does have the Hoover sound on it, but um, yeah, I think the, the power of it is a powerful synth, but it's yeah, a nightmare. And 106 is very, very user-friendly. Um, yeah. And yeah, we've got the little kind of wah, 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 kind yeah. of synth sounds at the back of that. Well, that's um. So there's like a big on the Midnight Store as a whole. There's like a big UK sound on it, which I think a lot of people have picked up on. So there's people have said that they hear things like burial with all these kind of weird field recordings creeping into the mix. Uh, people have said like they hear Square Pusher in it because there's some tracks which are like breakbeat freakouts. Um, if you make any more of those, you should uh, get a live bassist. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I know. Well. It, <laughs> You're really bigging yourself up if you can do a Tom Jenkinson job. <laughs> that man has got more strings on his bass than you have, and uh, he is more frets. Extremely well. Actually, maybe virtuosic. Not yeah, he is very good. Um, yeah. yeah, check out Square Pusher if if you guys haven't heard him. Um, but yeah, so there's there's clearly like a big UK influence on this track. But I think the uh, got some noisy motorbikes passing by. But yeah, the on that track there's like a huge, enormous barely disguised Boards of Canada reference in there. So I think, like, I don't think Boards of Canada work with bass guitar sounds as such. Um, but I don't think we were necessarily, I think that was something that kind of cropped up when we were recording it. It was kind of, oh, it sounds a bit like Boards of Canada. Yeah. I don't think it was a conscious thing. It just No, kind of but like, I think there's, there's this kind of field recording element and there's this kind of synth, like detuning synth thing going on throughout. Um, and it's got this kind of slightly naive childish melodic sense um, there's like a definite nod I think like uh, Donal Lenz stuff is like not always particularly referential like we're not always like um, nodding to a specific band or artist but I think um, this is like one time where we're really shouting out Boards of Canada I'd say the fretless bass thing is is one thing that, that makes it not a Boards of Canada homage yeah yeah that, right yeah for sure um, like maybe there's stuff like I I don't I must confess I don't listen to him very much but um I think that some other kind of warp acts like Bibio there's definitely and I think like early Fortet and like when he was playing in Fridge and stuff there's mm. this whole there was this kind of early noughties thing where like indie musicians and folk musicians were kind of converging on uh, electronic music and I think it's happening now again with like these like modular synth guys who like blends with field recordings and yeah. use uh, yeah. kind of folk sounds so there, there, there's, a, there's an amount of that in there I'd say yeah for sure that's yeah so yeah there's a lot of work and yeah modular synth stuff is definitely good well, there are people going in that direction yeah you sure. think about those YouTube videos where people will patch in and I sound play some Debussy Claire de Lune and you'll, you'll film yourself by like a beautiful sort of babbling brook or something yeah there's like a kind of pastoral thing I don't think Midnight Store's a very pastoral record but like it, it's on the fine, the home stretch of the record, and there's like definite like uh, park bench vibes. Yeah, I mean that, by this stage of the record, that's I the think. kind of a border Canada kind of treads that to some extent, mm -hmm. I guess, doesn't it? There's this kind of weird pastoralism to this very non-organic, yeah, kind of sound. Sure, a lot of it's analog, and yep. if not all of it, and uh, it's very warm, but it's not. Uh, you know, there's not so much. I mean, it's all done in a studio, yeah. right? Um, their their whole atmosphere is really nice as well because it's 
nostalgic without being retro, right? There's never, you know, they use all these kind of 70s public information tapes and these kind of weird, weird old cassettes and stuff. So they're kind of harking back to something, but it's not, you know, it's not on the nose. They're not kind of bludgeoning you over the head with, with references. And I think that's something that we try to do in Donor Lens quite a lot is to kind of evoke like a mood or a spirit. Except for references to Polish Lager, which really do bludgeon yeah yeah okay I'll, I'll give you that <laughs> but um yeah like I, I think um like some some other vaporwave acts like I mean I've, I've got nothing against it but like people you know there's that people will say I'm gonna make a record which uh is a tribute to Animal Crossing or is a tribute to the RuneScape gaming music or whatever like you're evoking something really specific I think uh, what we try to do in Dino Lens is like normally more kind of atmospheric or evocative and you know like calling a track Tisky you know that's just what we were drinking when we were making the track right we're not trying yeah, to yeah, we're no, not sure. trying to make a Polish folk song or anything like this we did, didn't get Nigel Kennedy in to play a violin on it or anything right? indeed right wait what's that a reference to well, he lives in Poland and he's Does got he? uh, he's, he's very uh, Nigel Kennedy if you don't know is a quite eccentric British violinist who was like uh, had like he was kind of like one of the first classical what, Kate musicians. Bush tracks to... he on? He's on a Kate Bush track, isn't oh, he? No way, I didn't know that. But yeah. I, I'm not surprised. I can see him and Kate getting on. What's Kate, his and Kate oh. and Big Boy? Yeah. What? Well, yeah. What is? What's your favourite Nigel Kennedy guest spot? I can't, I can't think of any now, but I know there's some really oh, weird. I know. Ones. I mean, he's got a very famous recording of the Four Seasons, and he's like sure. famous for uh, performing. He's a big fan of. Um, I hope I'm going to get this right. He's an Aston Villa fan, isn't he? I vague, yeah, yeah, I think he is. I think he, he? I think he performs on stage wearing an Aston Villa football shirt. He likes um, Agbon Lahore. Does he? He's a big fan of Agbon Lahore. But yeah, um, Nigel Kennedy's very immersed in Polish culture and Polish jazz and stuff, and I think that's where he's based now. Sure, yeah. So I think I feel like if Nigel Kennedy was going to make a track called Tiski, there would be like a more concrete Polish influence. Yeah, amazing. We were like... I don't know. Sometimes it's nice to to just uh, reference the things that that you see around you when you're making a track. Like I know that's definitely like what Burial does. You know, it's got a track called Ashtray Wasp. You know, that's, <laughs> like uh, it doesn't it doesn't take a genius to work out what what what's going through Burial's mind whilst he's working on his tracks. And the whole Burial thing of picking up stuff he finds on his desk and and sampling it is it's just a nice way of working. That's kind of I think that's that's been in the back of my mind whilst. Um, making some of the sounds and incorporating some of the kind of uh, found sound or foley elements on Midnight Store, I guess. But yeah, could probably leave it there. Sure. I, I think we went pretty in depth. I wasn't expecting to get to Polish jazz. But yeah, I think we've spoken for, well, you said five, 10 minutes and uh, I think we've see gone what we got. well beyond that. Probably 15, 20. Perfect.
like a flamingo.